Let's open our Bibles to the book of Micah, the first chapter. And uh, I'll read the first verse, and then we'll give you some introduction and analysis of uh, Micah before we get into the verse-by-verse commentary of it. We'll read verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morashite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Then he begins in verse 2 to speak about uh, what God has given him, the word that God has given him. Now, I want to give you some background and some analysis of the book and just point out a few things that uh, we won't go to uh, the Scripture to try to give you proof on every statement because uh, it takes so long to study out the things of the introduction that we would not have any time to spend on the other parts. But first of all, who speaks when we say Micah the prophet? Here, the word of the Lord that came to Micah. Uh, so Micah the prophet is the speaker and the writer. He's the writer of this book. And uh, he was from Morsha, known as uh, another, it has another name, Bebit Jebrin. But it's located about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And his name means, Micah's name means, who is like Jehovah. Who is like Jehovah. And Micah was a simple... Simple country man, a prophet of the poor and downtrodden people. He was of unknown parentage. We don't know who his parents were. And he was a contemporary with Isaiah and with Hosea. We studied Hosea, the first of the minor prophets, and Isaiah, a major prophet. And he was contemporary with them. So the things that both Isaiah speak of and and Hosea speak of was in the same period of time. And he preached in West Judea. Uh, Judah, that uh, the very same thing that Isaiah preached in Jerusalem and Hosea preached in the northern kingdom of Israel. And if you look at chapter 3 and verse 8, he claimed to be uh, full of the uh, power of the Holy Spirit. It says uh, in verse 8 of the third chapter, But truly I am full of the power, uh, full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel. His sin. So he knew that he was doing this under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. So this is the one who speaks. The second thing, to whom is he speaking? Micah spoke and wrote both to Israel and Judah. You know, the northern, king, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And he was directing his messages to Samaria and to Jerusalem. Samaria at that time was the capital of Israel and Jerusalem the capital of Judah because it was a divided kingdom. So he preaches to the capital of these two kingdoms. And what was his message about? It was one of condemnation against the moral conditions of the times and the judgment that was to befall Israel and Judah. And the judgment would come from Assyria and also from, from Babylon. It would come by three, three kings of leaders of those uh, opposite nations, Assyria and Babylon, which was Shalmaneser and Sennacherib and Belshazzar. You can remember Belshazzar concerning Babylon. And then when did he prophesy? When is the question. He lived and prophesied in the reign of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. In fact, in fact you'll find that in verse 1. It says, In the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now then, you have a lot of references to these kings that we could give to you, but we won't take time to go back and look at these references. But just to sum it up, 
uh, Jotham and Hezekiah were both good kings. But Ahaz was a very wicked king. And so he prophesied during these, uh, the reign of these three kings. And what was the occasion of his prophecy? Each of these three divisions of his book is introduced with the words, Hear ye. If you notice, and let me give you, give you the, the verses. Look at chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, Hear all ye people. Hear all ye people. And the second one is chapter 3, verse 1. It says, And I said, Hear I pray you, O heads of Jacob. Hear I pray you. And then chapter uh, 6 and verse 1, it says this, Hear ye now what the, what the Lord saith. So the first one, he says, Hear ye, hear all ye people. And the second one is, is chapter 3, verse 1. He said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and you princes. So he addresses the heads and the princes, the rulers. And then chapter 6, verse 1. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. And he wants them to listen to what God is saying directly to them. And that divides up. That's a natural division of this book. Now in this first one that says, Hear ye. It's God's witness against them from His holy temple. God witnesses against them from His holy temple. In the second one, God calls them to recognize that His judgment is just. He is justified in bringing judgment upon them. In the third one, He challenged them to give heed and to cry against the mountains where they had turned into idolatry and immorality. And that their repentance that they would show, He could call them to repentance and would... Uh, show them mercy uh, in the time when they would repent, and he was in hopes and believed and trusted that they would repent of their sins. Now, I want you to notice as we look at this first chapter, uh, verse 1 we'll read again, and we'll give you comments on each verse as we go along. Before we give you those comments, let me just give you a division of this first chapter. The first verse, we know it's introduction. We just kind of played with that just a little bit, but we'll come back and show that it's introduction. And in uh, verse, verses 2 through 5, you have judgment is announced. He announces judgment. And in uh, verses 6 through 7, you have the judgment of Samaria, or destruction of Samaria, which is basically the same thing. And then verses 8 through 16, you have the lamentation of the prophet over the coming judgment that is about to come. And that's the way you divide this chapter up with these four divisions. <clears throat> now then, let's look at verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morashite in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now notice that his, and by way of introduction, that his message will be to both kingdoms. And he addresses both capitals. Samaria in the north and Jerusalem in the south. Israel in the north and, and Judah in the south. If you'll notice on any Bible map, you'll find that that's the location. And by the way, that's where they had set up uh, their calves of idolatry and worship. They set up one in the north and one in the south. And uh, in different places that we'll name. Uh, Bethel and Dan were the two that uh, Jeroboam set up in the one, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, so that they would be uh, easy, it'd be easy for the people to go to worship in those two places. Remember when we studied and, and Jeroboam set up the calf worship 
He put one in the north and one in the south because he said he didn't want the people to have to go to Jerusalem to worship. So he chose, instead of Jerusalem and Samaria, he chose Bethel and Dan. But both of these cities or places were in the northern kingdom and in the southern kingdom. Jeroboam making it convenient for the people to go, go either place to worship, instead of at that time, uh, Jerusalem was a designated place for both of them to go to worship, for all of them to worship. And that was way back in Kings, I believe it was 1 Kings chapter 12, if you care to study it again. Now then, I want you to notice... We've seen uh, in verse 1 that the word of the Lord came unto Micah. The word of the Lord. So when he speaks, he's speaking what God wants him to say. And otherwise, he wouldn't have any message to give. And you know, even in this day and hour, preachers ought to say, thus saith the Lord. We ought to preach what God says, not what we think. And we have so many people preaching their own opinions and ideas and this and that and the other. But we ought to be preaching the word today. In fact, Paul told Timothy in the New Testament, a young preacher, he says, Preach the word and be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and then he said, Exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So we're told even how to preach the word, aren't we? We're to reprove sin, we're to rebuke, but we're to exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And I don't know how many of you have heard, but I've heard preachers that get on this rebuking uh, part of that uh, that uh, instruction that Paul gave to Timothy, and they never get to the exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, if you tear down something, you have to build it back up. In fact, you'll find in Jeremiah and Isaiah that God says, Go and tear down, and tear down this, and tear down that. Then he says, Build, build it up. So we're never to leave it torn down. That would be like leaving Jesus in the grave, wouldn't it? But he came out of the grave. So there's life after death. And to build up. And preachers should be able to do that. Because that's really our commission. And our ministry to do that. So notice it says um, now in verse 2. He calls for all the people to give heed. Hear all ye people. Hearken, O earth. And all therein that therein is. And let the Lord be witness against you. The Lord from His holy temple. Remember we said it was concerning His holy temple. That this first message comes. Now then. So he's calling for the people to give, pay attention in verse 2. We'll give you something on each verse. Now look at verse 3. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. He begins a description of the awesome judgment that's ahead of them. He says, the Lord will come down. He cometh forth, and he will tread upon the high places of the earth. In verse 4, he says, And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. He describes the dissolution of the mountains and the valleys. And he says, They'll be as wax before the fire, and as waters that are poured down a steep place. So you see, he begins to call for the people to hear in verse 2. He begins a description of the awesome judgment that's ahead in verse 3. And then he describes the uh, by these mountains and the valleys and how that the, uh, the dissolution, they'll be as wax before the fire. What does wax have before the fire? What do we do when we burn the candles? It just melts it all away, doesn't it? And so they, they were going to be like wax before the fire. And as waters that are poured down a steep place. You ever tried to pour waters? If you pour water even on the ground, it soaks it up. In fact, there's a scripture 
that says uh, concerning Israel, they'll be like uh, concerning one aspect of, of the things of Israel, as waters poured on the ground that shall not be brought up again. And man is like that too. We just vanish away. You know, when we uh, used to build uh, houses up here in Rio Dosa in and they had to have uh, septic tanks and all. You had to run a percolation test, they called it. And you had to dig a hole about three feet deep, and you had to fill it with water, and you had to see how long it would take for it to, to disappear into the earth. Well, in this country, it goes away right away because it's so mountainous and rocky, and most every place is sufficient. But you get down in the flatland, like when we were in Fort Worth, you take all those septic systems in the backyards and some of those flat places, I mean, you couldn't get enough uh, lateral lines and stuff to take care of the water because it's just like clay, and it wouldn't, wouldn't do anything, and you'd have great problems. And in some of those areas where we opened up housing projects, I remember out in Sun Valley where I first uh, was building during the time I was going to seminary in Arlington, and we were building there in Fort Worth. And, uh, I mean, you couldn't get enough... A whole backyard, you had lots that were 60 feet wide and 120 feet deep. And all the whole backyard, you couldn't get enough enough room and enough land to absorb just a one unit, just a family unit of uh, septic. And so we find that uh, sometimes the water poured on the ground is lost. But think of this. Look at this illustration here. Uh, he says uh, <clears throat> in verse uh, 4, as wax before the fire, look at that, and as waters that are poured down a steep place. You pour them down a steep place, it'd be like a water slide. You know it's going to get gone right away. Now then, verse uh, 5 specifically describes Samaria, the capital of Israel, and Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, as centers and sources of idolatrous Corruption that caused God's judgment to be fixed on these two kingdoms. And so when we read it, let's look at it. Because he centers in on both Samaria and Jerusalem. And thus he's centering in on the capitals of Israel and of Judah. Now remember, this is, this is simple. Remember Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Remember the capitals are addressed here. And so in addressing the capital, he's addressing the whole people. When he addresses Samaria, he's addressing Israel. When he addresses Jerusalem, he's addressing uh, uh, Judah. And the kingdom had been divided way back there in the days of, right after Solomon passed, in the days of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And uh, we find that uh, they had been divided, uh, had been divided since that time. And so when Micah is prophesying, he's including both. Now, Look in verse 5. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. See, Jacob was named Israel. So he goes back and says, for the transgression of Jacob is all this. He goes back and takes his, his uh, we might say, his uh, nature name, his original name. And then he gives him the new name, Israel. And for all the sins, and for the sins of the house of Israel. You see how there's a play upon the two names, Jacob and Israel? There's a reason for that. It's like you and I, we still have the old nature, and yet this new nature falls short too, doesn't it? Because we do not fulfill all that we should be by the name of Israel. Jacob the old man, Israel the new man, but even so, the one person has as many faults. So he's combining the two names to show that, that even Israel 
was still capable of falling back into the sins of Jacob. And so he includes both, and then he addresses Samaria. For the transgression, look at verse 5 again. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And so he points to the capital. And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? So we said before, our statement concerning verse 5 is it specifically describes Samaria, the capital of Israel, and Jerusalem, capital of Judah, as sinners and sources of idolatrous corruption. Idolatrous corruption that caused God's judgment to be fixed on these two kingdoms. And it was because of their idolatry, because of their corruption, that, that Micah's message is going to come against both the north and the south. Now then, verse Six, <clears throat> And this describes how Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, <clears throat> excuse, excuse <clears throat> will be utterly destroyed. Verse 6 describes how that the northern kingdom will be utterly destroyed. Therefore, I will make Samaria as a heap of the field. This is what he was going to do. And as plantings of a vineyard. And I will pour, da- pour down the stones thereof into the valley. And I will discover the foundations thereof. And all the graven images, he's including verse 7, and all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, their idolatry. And all the hires, the hires speaks of the, the men of wealth, or the wealth of them. All the hires thereof shall be burned with the fire. And all the idols thereof will I lay desolate. For she gathered it for, of the hire of an harlot, and they shall return to the hire of an harlot. In other words, they were corrupt to start with. You know, let me just make a simple application, if I may, concerning wealth and how we get it. Money, how we get it and how we use it. First of all, we do not want to get money out of a corrupt situation, out of a, an adulterous situation, out of a sinful situation. We want to get it by what? Honesty. How many of you heard when this uh, fellow won that big lottery that he was going to give to the uh, Salvation Army so much money and I think a big sum of money and they refused it? You, did you read that or hear it? They refused it? Well, that, you say that's going too far. Well, I don't know if it is or not. That's their conviction. But anyway, they wouldn't have it. Let's get back with this. But we know that you're supposed to get your money by honesty and we're supposed to use it in the, in the proper way. It's not only how we use it, but it's how we get it. And and he said that, For she gathered it for the hire of an harlot, and they shall return to the hire of an harlot. Now then, when we come to verse 8, uh, well, verse 7 assures that all these graven images and idols shall be crushed, and all the wealth will be made desolate. All the wealth that they've received will be made desolate. That's what we have to say about verse 7. Now, verse 8 expresses that he himself, this is Micah, may go stripped of shoes and of sandals and naked in the hour of judgment. He says, Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked, and I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. He shows what he was going to suffer personally. You know, many of the prophets of old suffered when they tried to do what was right and they brought God's message. And he says because of these things, he was even personally going to suffer for it. You read back in the Kings, you'll find that uh, uh, Micaiah, another Micah or Micaiah, uh, suffered under the judgment of some that did not believe in him and the opposition that he had. Remember one king says, well, you know, there's no one here but Micaiah the prophet and, and he doesn't speak good concerning me. Was that Ahab? I believe it was Ahab. 
says, he doesn't have a good word about me. says, I don't want to hear him. I don't want to call him because he never speaks anything good about me. Well, he didn't have anything good to say about it. And you know, if you have good said about you, you better deserve having good said about you. But that one didn't have anything good to say about him. And you go back and read the story of that prophet, you'll find it in the Kings. And he was persecuted for his message because his message was not in favor. Oh, they have. All right, let's go on with this. So verse 9 now. Verse 9 describes Samaria and Israel. And Israel's incurable, contagious wound. It's her incurable and contagious wound. It says, for her wound is incurable, for it is come unto Judah. You know, you don't want a, you don't want a disease passed from one person to another. He is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. So you find that it's concerning Samaria, Israel, and their incurable, contagious wound that they have. Now, verse 10, I want you to notice. It says, and this, by the way, verse 10 is how the heathens would have malicious joy at the fall of Israel and Samaria. You know, this just brought uh, joy to the enemies of God's people. Israel and Judah were God's people. But they had so sinned, and God had to bring judgment against them, that it even brought joy to to the nations round about them. But you know, in spite of it all, there's a lesson that we all need to learn before we even read this. And we have to be careful about it because there's something about another person's calamity that causes us to anyway kind of laugh a little bit or think, I'm glad it wasn't me. I'm glad it was him and not me. So we have to be on guard about gloating over anyone's, uh, any person's uh, calamity or tragedy or failure or fall. You say, preacher, I don't do that. Did you know that there's a tendency in men to do that? You may not agree, but there is a tendency in all of us to think, well, I'm glad that's not me. I'm doing okay. But then when it happens to us, what happens? The other fellow looks at us, doesn't he? So we need to learn how to handle both our own failures and the failures of others. And it's a hard thing for us to do because human nature is kind of against that idea of, uh, of compassion. But notice verse verse uh, <clears throat> 10. This is how the heathens would rejoice and maliciously rejoice, you might say, at the fall of Israel and the fall of Samaria. It says, Declare ye it not at Gath. Weep ye not at all. And in the house of Ophra, roll thyself in the dust. So they, they would not even weep over the situation. In verse 11 shows us the continues, uh, that it continues concerning their conduct before the five stronghold cities of Palestine, and it's described, it says, Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Sapphire, having thy shame naked. The inhabitant of Zanon came not forth in the morning of Bethazel. He shall receive of you his standing. So there's, this continues in verse 11 concerning the conduct before the five stronghold cities of the Palestines that are described here in verse 10 and verse 11. And you'll notice there's five of them, Gath and Ophir, Sapphire, Zanon, and Bethes. Bethazel is the last one. But in these two verses, you have five Palestinian uh, stronghold cities that are described. Now, verse 12 says, verse 12 reports that Maroth waited for help that never came to them. They waited in vain. You know, when you have help on the way and no one comes to your help or your aid, 
There's so many people that need help, and help never comes. You and I should be instruments of help when someone's in need. As Christians, that's our duty. And by the way, it should be a conviction in the heart that when someone is, has a need, especially if they're helpless and cannot help themselves. Now, if you do for something for someone that can do for himself at the same point in time, then you're relieving him of the responsibility. But if you're helping someone that cannot help themselves in certain instances of life, then you're doing what God would have you do. It says, For the inhabitant of Maroth waited carefully for the good, but evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. They waited for good, and in this case they were waiting for the good, but, but God uh, had them under His judgment hand. And it says, But evil came from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. Remember that Micah's message is a message of what? Condemnation and judgment. Now look at verse 13. Verse 13 appeals for the inhabitants to flee from the advancing army that's coming upon them. And it says, O thou inhabitant of Leches, bind the chariot to the swift beast. In other words, you get this is how they're to do it. Get the swiftest beast they have. She is the beginning of the sin of the daughter of Zion, for the transgression of Israel were found in thee. And they were to flee from the advancing army. Now verse 14 explains that Israel should renounce claims to Moresh Gath. Renounce all their claims. Verse 14. It says, Therefore shalt thou give presents to Moresh Gath, the house of Eshzib, shall be a lie to the kings of, of Israel. So they need to renounce claim in this situation. Now verse 15 offers a new hope. It says, Yet will I bring an heir unto thee. God says, I'm going to bring an heir. O inhabitant of Marsheth, he shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. So God always gives a ray of hope in the midst of all the problems and trials that people endure. Now I want you to notice verse 16. It says, Make thee bald, look here, and, and pull thee for thy delicate children. Shave, shave your head. Enlarge thy baldness. As the eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. And this calls for Samaria and Jerusalem to be much in mourning over their situation. And truly, this first chapter would show of what God has said concerning uh, both kingdoms and all these in both these capital cities, and the destruction that is coming, and the manner in which it does come upon them, and the captivity that they will soon soon face. We're going to see that later on. Uh, Assyria and Babylon are the ones that they go in captivity to, that certainly it should bring about a sense of mourning over their condition. And that's why he says in verse 16, Make thee bald and pull thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy baldness as an eagle, for they are gone into, into captivity from thee. And so it speaks of the captivity and the reason for mourning. Well, we will p- pick up in our next lesson the second chapter of the book of Micah and give you future divisions or further divisions and show some more things that need to be discussed. We've seen in this first chapter judgment on Samaria and judgment on Judah and how it was brought about. So we'll let that suffice for tonight and thank you for your patience and kind attention. Remember the Wednesday evening service at 7 o'clock.